Welcome to another episode of Axel Blood God, US Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me today, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello there. And as always, we'll be covering RPGs big and small, Western, Eastern, PC, console. We love them all. And this week, you know, we got a we got a lot to cover. We're going to talk about Persona 5. We're going to talk a little bit about Trails in the Sky. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit about this conference that I went to um, earlier this week, uh, the Game Speed Summit 2017. Um, there's lots of little topics this week, Nadia. Um, not necessarily a big thing, but plenty to cover. Yeah, like uh, it, it's good to have a little bit of downtime so we can fill in the gaps with some smaller stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, though, I don't know if this is a small thing, but happy 15th birthday to Morrowind. <laughs> Hooray, Morrowind. You're 15 years old. You, can, you can't drink yet, but you can, I don't know, smoke? You can't drink or drive, and you can't smoke either. Oh, okay, you can't smoke. Don't smoke, it's bad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what, can you drive at 14 in Canada? Is that like one of the weird things that they have, along with like yellow uh, fire hydrants? Hell no. Uh, <laughs> if you want to hear something disturbing, age of consent used to be 14 here. So oh, God. They, they changed that, thankfully. I think they have that in, I think that's about the age in Japan, too. Ugh. It's pretty low. Yeah. I, I remember that, but, uh, yeah, I tried to get, I tried to get someone on here so that I could do a kind of a Morrowind retrospective, um, in honor of his 15th birthday. No such luck. Aw. Feels like it. Even, like, my usual reliable people have not played it. Really? Yeah, well, yeah. you know, it's real, like I, I wrote a, a little retrospective of sorts on uh, um, US Gamer. Not really a retrospective, but saying that it should come to the Switch as a remaster. Mm-hmm. And I think my reasoning is pretty good because it was really a, a turn point for the, uh, the Elder Scrolls series in that mm-hmm. the first two games really had more procedurally generated content, whereas uh, Morrowind was the first one to have, like, set towns and dungeons, etc. Uh, and it was also the first uh, Elder Scrolls game on a console, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Xbox to be specific. Yes, this is all true. Um, and it kind of kickstarted the path that like KOTOR would also continue on the Xbox of bringing mm-hmm. PC, traditionally PC-centric developers to console. Um, but I, I think a lot of people would say that Oblivion was the real, like, big turning point for the series because it was essentially a launch game for the Xbox 360 and yeah. everybody was playing it. Yeah. Um, I know I have it, but I don't think I've played it. Uh, like everybody I talked to is like, ooh, little hazy on Morrowind. Oblib- Oblivion was my first. Mm-hmm. And of course, Skyrim yeah. was really my first. But the people who love Morrowind swear by it up and down. They say it is the best one with the best writing. Yeah, and um, that's why I'd really like to play like a remaster of it. I, I know I could play the original, but it's just not quite the same, you know what I mean? Like, I'm mm. a filthy casual in that regard. Well, I believe that you can download it onto your PC, and there are probably fan mods that will dramatically improve its graphics. I know someone was at least working on one. I, I don't know if they ever finished it. I also believe that somebody was working on putting the entirety of Morrowind into Skyrim. Wow. Yeah, like, modders are crazy. But. Yeah, but they, they do some incredible work, though. But the conventional wisdom among the fans is that uh, Morrowind is the best written of the series mm-hmm. um, with the tightest storyline, uh, compared, especially when compared to like Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that light, um, it will never come to Switch. I wish it would be remastered for Switch, but it never mm-hmm. will be. Um, uh, Bethesda, like, they can just keep riding Skyrim for a very long time. Yeah, that seems to be their their primary plan. Uh, it's too bad, because um, what you say about the, you know, the most tightly written story, that's interesting, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, Morrowind is also one of the smaller RPGs in the series. Yeah, no, a lot of people would say that, and it was maybe to its benefit, because mm-hmm. it allowed the quests and everything to be a lot tighter, um, compared to the next two games in the series, which were considerably bigger. Mm-hmm. Just a bit. Yeah. Just a bit. But, I mean, we'll have an occasion to talk more about Morrowind kind of in the near future, because, I mean, aside from the fact that it's the 15th anniversary, um, Elder Scrolls Online is bringing mm-hmm. Morrowind into the game. Um, and I I've, I was able to find one person who is, like, a, a Morrowind nut. Uh, but I 
was not able to get them on the podcast in time. So Aww. I'll have to bring them onto the show within the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, Nadia, you've been playing Persona 5. Yeah, I, I meant to finish 4 first, and uh, I kind of broke. Tisk, tisk, tisk. <laughs> I caved. I, I couldn't help it. We all, we all know that you can't play two games from the same series at the same time. Like It's kind of like Time Cop. Yeah, where I'm the two characters like touch one another from the you know the, they're the same people, but yeah. they're from different timelines, and if they touch, they like turn into a horror blob. Yeah, so if the uh, universe starts collapsing on itself, I'm sorry, that's my fault. But uh, at least I started the game, I and blame um, you. I thought like, oh, you know, I'll just put a few hours in. And the other day, I checked it, and I'm like, oh, I've already put 13 hours into this. Damn, you're gonna <laughs> wow. catch up with me pretty soon. Uh, do you say you're gonna catch up with me or? You're going to catch up with me. Oh, how long? Have, how, what? Where are you exactly? Oh, I'm like in June. Oh, okay, yeah. See, I'm in May. Okay, so I am catching yeah. up. But you're still catching up. You must, Have you already finished the first dungeon? Yeah, I just finished the first dungeon. Well, damn. <laughs> I actually wrote, um, let's say, the, the inspiration for the dungeon episode, like last time, was uh, that first dungeon in Persona 5, which I mm-hmm. just really enjoyed with uh, Kamashita. Yeah, so did I. Um... I have to say the dungeons in, in uh, Persona 5, and I think this is a point that you made, are a lot more interesting than they are in 4. Yeah, I mean, you, you've you been playing Persona 4 quite a bit over the past few months, so yes. like, it must be just almost like the blinders are being taken off. Like It just must feel so much more elaborate and much more interesting. Yeah, um, I haven't gotten to a second dungeon yet, but I have unlocked uh, Mementos, which is more like a traditional Persona mm. 4 dungeon. Uh, as yes. in that it's procedurally generated and um, it's uh, it's smaller. There's you know fewer enemies to go for, fewer goals to go for. But it's kind of like an in between thing now. With a literal cat bus. It has a cat bus. <laughs> I was for really some cute. reason, some reason the cognitions have cats and buses together. Can't figure out why. <laughs> that was a pretty good line. I laughed. Yeah, I got a chuckle out of that one. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, so what do you think? Like, do you like it? Are you enjoying it? I, I am really enjoying it. I actually found it a little easier to get into than 4, but I think that mm. might be because 4, like, really introduced me to the series, so I have a much better idea of how the mechanics work. Like, I know how Persona Fusing works, I know how important it is to make friends and, you know, influence people. So I feel like I've hit my stride a lot faster than I did in 4. Yeah, I know what you mean when it comes to kind of feeling like you have a kind of a grasp on it, like right when you get in, mm-hmm. like you kind of feel like, okay, I better build up my stats. I better be talking to confidants whenever possible. Can't waste, can't waste time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you feel like you're using your time much more efficiently, even if you're kind of like nervous about missing things. Yeah, um, I feel, actually, I feel a little less anxious about uh, wasting my time than I did in f- at the beginning of playing 4. Because uh, I I know what's important versus what I can kind of skip on. Like, I don't have to spend every day studying if I'm not close to midterms. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. And the the little network checker really helps. Yes, it does. That and I find the the game itself is um, just far more streamlined than 4 was. Like, just how easy Mm. it is to go from place to place. Oh, God, I really love that. Yeah. (laughs) The fact (laughs) that you can uh, theoretically just call up the map. Call the station, and you don't have to go to the station. Like it'll mm-hmm. just immediately offer up a list of destinations at the station where you're going, and you can go straight there. Yes, absolutely. I am so happy about that. And <laughs> right, I also have to say, I find that Persona Five resonates with me a bit more being a city person the way I, that mm. that I am. I mean, Shibuya isn't really Toronto, but they do have a lot of similarities. Oh, really? How so? Um, I don't know if it was on purpose. It probably Buildings. was. Not just the buildings, but the Toronto downtown uh, has the place Yangnandas Square, which is a lot like Shibuya Crossing. Um, it even has a scramble crossing. Oh, really? No yeah. kidding. Yeah, so going there, like, I feel basically right at home, except there's no one on the, the corner there screaming about Jesus, so. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus will save you! Actually, there is! Oh my god, I just thought about that. I'm like, okay, I did encounter a guy who was going on about religion in Persona 5. I gotta go back and see him. You've never been to Japan. No, I'd really like to go. Oh god, you gotta go, Nadia. I know, man. My friends and I are talking about it someday. I mean, it's kind of a trip of a lifetime, right? And mm-hmm. you'll feel right at home, like, immediately. Mm-hmm, I and think so. I don't want to be, like, all elitist or whatever, but it really does kind of change your perspective, maybe, a little bit on a lot of Japanese media. 
Yeah. Um, it's the same for a lot of cities. Like when I went to London or when I and when I went to New York, like when I watch shows set in those locations, they immediately felt a lot more familiar to me. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. Definitely. Like I would look at a show set in New York and be like, oh yeah, that's definitely New York. Or I would look at a show set in London and it was kind of the same. And the same goes for Japan, right? Like, mm-hmm. like the establishments, the, the buildings, the neighborhoods, um, even something as mundane as like how the school looks. Like, yeah. The school, is, that's very much a Japanese school, very utilitarian. Right? Yeah. Do they all look like that in Japan? Because it kind of looks the same in Persona 4, just a little more rustic. But the layout is identical. The buildings in Tokyo are pretty monotonous, actually. Like, very utilitarian. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, kind of uh, com- concrete. Oh, not concrete, uh, because that'll break. But, um, like, just really utilitarian is mm-hmm. the word that I would use for them. Um, no frills. <laughs> um, <laughs> except for, you'll be, like, walking along past all of these, like, really kind of boring-looking buildings. But then you'll come across this, like, lovely little shrine. Oh, that's nice. Or when you get into the suburbs, the houses generally look really nice. Like, yeah. the rooftops are really pretty for the most part. They're all, like, kind of unique and interesting. So the mm. actual houses are great, but the apartment buildings and the, the town, the towers and stuff downtown are, like, they all look pretty much the same. <laughs> clean and functional. Clean. Very clean. So mm-hmm. clean. You get on mm-hmm. a bus, you get on a train there, and you're, like, really kind of shocked by how clean everything is, but... Um, speaking of Persona Five, uh, Katie posted an article, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty spoiler-filled. Actually, I was like <laughs> getting a little annoyed reading it um, for myself because I was like, "Oh well, great! Now I've spoiled a ton of stuff for myself." But whatevs. Oh, good thing I shot away from it for now, then. Yeah, um, but I still recommend reading it um, because it is a really great examination of how Persona Five. Um, tackles politics in Japan and real world problems, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which the director, um, Katsura Hashino, explicitly said that he wanted to do. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, it's, it's a good read. Um, kind of touching on, on the various issues that end up forming a lot of the, the palaces. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things, like the main premise of Persona 5 is that like the dungeons you're attacking are these like, kind of perverse twisted um like projections of the mind coming from these people who are like petty tyrants who rule things who think that they're you know the best or whatever and are have some kind of like horrible crime that they're covering up yeah sure is topical yes very topical and like i was thinking a lot like like as i was playing it i think the the words that came to mind were persona 5 is all about sticking it to the man it really is. Holy crap. Right? Like, people rising up and just being like, screw you, uh, person who's abusing all of their authority. Like, we're actually standing up to you, so. Uh, one thing I did notice about Persona 5 is that it's uh, it's quite a bit darker than Persona 4. Yeah? Like, you think so? I think so. Um, at least uh, that first, I mean, heck, you, you kind of go in all cylinders firing. You have a, a subplot to do with, like, sexual assault and god violence like yeah the just the idea of a i don't want to like say anything too spoilery but like someone in such a position of authority abusing their you know their underlings the way that they do that's just it's so depressing because it happens all the time Uh, of course the whole the whole game is based around real world events but it's just not like an isolated incident you have to think about how often this sort of thing happens and you kind of wish you could just be a phantom thief and, and make things right, but it's not that easy, obviously. But by the same token, in Persona 4, like one of the first things you see is a girl hanging from a telephone pole dead. Oh, yeah, not saying Persona 4 is a happy <laughs> game by any means. And also, like, like people, I mean, people kind of treat it as like this happy-go-lucky thing. Like, mm-hmm. somebody posted, like, the three images comparing Persona 3, 4, and 5. Mm-hmm. And the Persona 4 one was from Dancing All Night, and it was the main <laughs> character like doing karaoke with like his like big aviator glasses, going "Yeah." It's not quite that lighthearted. Yeah, no, it's not. But I mean, I mean, right from the start, um, 
one of the main characters is a little girl who is like home alone all the time right yeah I mean, yeah Poor that's Nico. dark in its own way like she's so sad it really like I, I guess like the persona games it just even though they're really weird and surreal they reflect reality in their own twisted ways yes absolutely um uh, but as for the article, um, yeah, uh, Katie talked to various people, like people who lived, who live in Japan, people who are Japanese and are from Japan. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing that jumped out at me the most was kind of like, there's this kind of apathy maybe going on um, there, like in terms of politics, like you mm-hmm. can kind of see it taking hold a lot here as well, where like right. people are like, well, everything is shit, but there's nothing I can do about it. But I feel like vaguely depressed and unhappy about it. But I'm just going to keep going about my life as best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I think that's like bipartisan. I don't think this is a liberal or conservative thing. I, no, I think definitely not. The reason that we ended up with a, a president like Donald Trump or a Brexit was that people on both sides of the aisle were just discontented in various yes. ways. Like they people are unhappy. There. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's very much the same in Japan, but people are just kind of clamming up, it seems like, and going about it. Like, like she talks about how in, like, there will be a big scandal and everybody will get all upset and like, it'll be all over social media and then it'll just kind of fizzle away. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like, well, that scandal's over. Moving on with our lives. <laughs> Moving on with the next scandal, please. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. You should go check it out. It, it's really interesting how um, these real world things are uh, kind of reflected in Persona 5, which um, was very explicitly the intent of Hashino. Um, he said, uh, Katie said, had a line in there that I thought was really like, really uh really kind of hammered at home which was persona 5 wants to have a discussion essentially with japan like it mm-hmm. is laser focused on a japanese audience it wants Absolutely. to get japan to kind of like look turn inward and like realize what the heck is going on with itself hmm, i wonder if it'll manage to do that i mean it's it's a huge series in japan so i would hope so i don't think so actually Aww. but Maybe I'm being maybe I'm being too cynical. Um, maybe all I know is that everybody I talk to over there, both Japanese and um, like you know foreign but living in Japan, are just like really seemingly pretty jaded. Um, That's too bad. Yeah, there's a there's a bit of a kind of a nationalist movement there that's rising that worries me. That's an international thing. But. Exactly, it's everywhere. Yeah. All right. Um, Moving on a little bit. Uh, so I went to a conference that I found pretty interesting. I already mentioned it. Um, and one of the first talks was by uh, Tim Sweeney, who is one of the founders of Epic, which, of mm-hmm. course, makes the Unreal Engine. And Tim Sweeney is an interesting guy. Um, you meet a lot of people like him kind of uh, in the industry. He's very much a programmer, mm-hmm. very, much a, um, very much a tech guy, very... Um, always kind of thinking toward the future, like yeah. like high level of technology, holodecks, that kind of thing. <laughs> but he had something interesting to say about RPGs that I actually wrote about on the site. Um, mm, I saw that. Which was, he was positing in the near future that deep learning will come to video games and we will have actual artificial intelligence and that RPGs in particular will be impacted. Yeah, that would be a heck of a thing. So basically, if I'm not mistaken, what the article was about was we're talking about, you know, to put it as simply as possible, just really complex AI that can think and learn as you play. Yeah. So like they would be actually adapting and Mm -hmm. responding to your actions and maybe the situation in the game. I don't don't know that they would be quote unquote self-aware like deep. I was reading about deep learning a little while ago and... I can't really ex- put it in layman's terms necessarily for this podcast, but it's kind of this layered approach to artificial intelligence um, that allows them to go further than they have in the past. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, sentience in the way that we would think, but it would allows them to solve very complex problems. Like one right. of the things recently was um, 
they taught a machine how to win in the game Go, which is a traditional Japanese game. Right. Um, which is very complex. Like Go Grandmasters, like there's only, like it's a, it's kind of like telling that if you're like a Go Grandmaster or something, like you're really, really, really smart. Wasn't um, the Nintendo president uh, Yamauchi, wasn't he a Go Grandmaster or at least a master of some kind? Yes, he was, uh, he was big into Go. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was like one of his two hobbies, drinking whiskey and playing Go. <laughs> <laughs> he was good at both, I suppose. Supposedly. So, so yeah, Go is like the kind of thing that like super high level Japanese businessmen play because it shows how smart they are. But, um, so I am really interested, like... Like Tim was talking about how you could have not just like conversation trees, but actual conversations. Yeah, um, I was reading about that. That sounds really interesting, but it also sounds like you said how um, basically we could wind up someday with RPG AI that could break your heart. Like you get an NPC that could break your heart. And the, the way I'm thinking about it now, given the way fandom is and pe- how people obsess over like you know the the shark guy from from a link to the a link between world uh, sorry a link uh <laughs> breath of the wild just like how things are now i'm thinking wow what if you took that a step further you could like dissolve humanity just everyone would be <laughs> obsessed with their 2d waifus and husband husbandos oh my god i mean well it would be like archer yeah <laughs> the waifu yes uh the the 3d waifu yeah <laughs> I think my husband, my, my husband, my um, my uh, brother once asked me, uh, "What's a waifu?" And he just doesn't know that terminology. And I said, "You ever seen archery?" He's like, "Yeah." And it's like, "You know that anime, you know, projection?" He's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> oh, Krieger-san, soon we be married. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's I, I just died when I saw that. Oh no, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite things, and I'm sad that um, uh, the anime Krieger's anime girlfriend like is seemingly gone but oh his wife but not like she just has not been appearing lately i don't know why but maybe they divorced but one thing that so right now we already kind of sort of have a thing but it's um really artificial um mm-hmm. which is the the radiant system in uh like skyrim and i think oblivion mm-hmm. where the NPCs have like individual tasks that they do on a daily basis. They'll be like traveling around. They're not just standing around. Right. Right. Um, and y- weird things can happen as a result of it, which is kind of fun, but <laughs> no kidding, but it's also very breakable and just a it's, bit. and it's pretty simple. Right. Yes. So whereas m- this kind of system would allow for, a much more complex web of relationships between the NPCs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you could have a situation where like a game would evolve perhaps where um, there's a family, but then they like, I don't know, uh, they get into a fight with another family. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, you have a, like a rivalry, like some kind of a Hatfield McCoy's kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe that like sparks an entire war in the village. That would be a lot of fun, although uh, I'm thinking, God, that would be a programming nightmare, wouldn't it? You talk about bugs now. Holy crap. Yeah, that's what he was saying, actually. He said it would be impossible to test them. Yeah. There would be an infinite number of possibilities. You just oh, have God. to do hope that they do the right thing. Hope that their faces stay where they belong. They don't end up like complete like MLB, the show messes. Oh, my God. Just thinking about that gives me nightmares. <laughs> so don't, don't remind me of that. It was way too much. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if they did have some kind of like really complex AI, they would have to find a way to rein it in just for the sake of, just for the sake of design. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess you could have a like full on sandbox where all of these characters are running around doing crazy things and you can just kind of go live in this world and do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, just thinking, you know, given how much video games have advanced in the past god decade or so it's it's something we think of now as saying oh man that's that's got to be impossible but who knows a decade from now whenever i hear people like tim sweeney talking about this kind of stuff um i always like kind of look within and wonder if i'm just like too limited in my thinking when it comes to games (laughs) gotta expand your horizontals as laguna says well 
I mean, Tim Sweeney's older than I am, but I mean, I guess I kind of grew up playing games a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. Same. And like games have changed a lot in just the past few years and it's taken a lot to kind of go with them, right? Like survival yeah. games, um, like big sandbox games, that kind of thing, like um, have really taken hold, like a different culture has taken hold. But for the most part, like I really like my old school games. I really look like a good old fashioned RPG, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, when we were talking about how um, Ian Bogust was like, we need a holodeck. We don't need a, we don't need text or whatever. I'm like, yeah. Well, you know I mean, I kind of like visual novels. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay to like everything, dude. Um, like, uh, but I don't think those things are going anywhere either. I don't, but when people like, so Tim Sweeney was talking about the metaverse. Have you heard of this before? I, I've heard of the meta- metaverse through Persona 5, but. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking Topical. about like these advances that essentially will let you go into VR. <clears throat> and this was the exact quote. It's, it's putting a bunch of human players into an immersive, so, immersive social experience. So the key thing that multiplayer right now are missing that makes them not the metaverse is realistic human interaction, kind of interaction you can only have when you look a person in the eye. Right. It's really interesting because it's going to lead to entirely new genres of games that can't exist right now because you can't capture that sort of human experience. So essentially, like you put on your helmet and you're like in this entirely different world and lots of people are running around, but they're in their their different uh, kind of avatars. But instead of you know, just being a World of Warcraft character, you're, like, literally looking them in the eye and, like, uh, having conversations with them. And it's like they're putting on a second skin. I am just picturing how many fist fights would start in the middle of, like, town squares and stuff. That's where my mind immediately went. Just picturing this nice, serene town square and two people punching the hell out of each other. I mean, I'm sure it would be a very interesting experience, and I don't doubt that it's, like, not too far off, but... I always get a little annoyed when people start going on and on about like the possibilities of VR because right now, because this is really telling, Tim Sweeney goes, yes, the possibilities of VR are like so amazing in the metaverse, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, nobody's investing in it right now because they're all in on AR because of Pokemon Go and yeah. people should totally invest in it. But but regardless, it's really, it's going to be really cool. And I'm just like, well, wait a minute. Nobody's investing in it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if no one's investing in it, it's not really going to go anywhere. I mean, technically... Well, which they aren't. And I've already... I've always said a hard limit is putting on that stupid helmet. Absolutely. Like... It's too much of a cutoff. It is. And I'm still worried about motion sickness. I mean, no one's really come up with a good solution for that yet. No, they really haven't. Um, People... I was like, look, somebody was talking about, like, how video games are the only thing that can get them to put down their darn phone. (laughs) Right? Like... (laughs) most of the time like like i was um i was watching baseball earlier today while working i was like multitasking like crazy right i had my (laughs) phone i was checking my phone i was reading um i was uh like typing um like i'm doing a million things same goes for like i'll be reading and i can only read for a little bit before i'm like inevitably like checking my email or something right whereas in games like there'll be breaks where i like check my stuff but most of the time like games will get me I'll be, like, so invested and engaged with a game that, like, the phone, like, I almost, like, is forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could say that would happen with VR, but, like, it, it's almost too intense. It's almost too much of a commitment. Yeah, I guess it would be because, as you say, that stupid helmet. I mean, no one can be away from their phone very long in this day and age. Uh, because even if I'm in this VR world, I'm thinking, what about my email, you know? And if I want to check my email, i got to take off the helmet, got to do all this. Why bother in the first place? At least that's my line of thinking. Somebody was suggesting that there would could potentially be AR where you hold up your phone and it projects into the actual world. That'd be cool. So you'll be like playing Skyrim VR, right? <laughs> and you're talking to <laughs> you're talking to a an NPC and you're like, uh huh, uh huh, and then you just grab your phone and you're like looking at it in the <laughs> universe. <laughs> And they'd be like, you know, what in the name of Thor is that? Or whichever god is in Skyrim. No, they wouldn't. they just keep talking. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> because as far as they're concerned, like, you're just standing there. Uh, it's kind of like how, you know, in a lot of games where they'll have in-engine cutscenes and the character will be talking and you'll be, like, running around, like, shooting at things or jumping yes. up and down or whatever. Like, I'm always, like, if I can, like, if it doesn't lock me into the cutscene, I'll be like, hop, 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 <laughs> like, just all over the place because... 
<laughs> right. I, I like the absurdity. You're like, I'm a, I have ADD. I'm just going to run around everywhere. Woo, 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 woo. Plastic bag, plastic bag. But I would totally play an RPG with intelligent NPCs. Like, I, I think that actually is maybe holding things back a little bit because the relationships are so scripted. Yeah, I mean, we haven't gotten too far, like, beyond those original dialogue wheels. No, we absolutely haven't. I would even venture to say that it's much the same um, as it has been in the past 25 years or so. Yeah, I think we're we're about ready to move on. Name me, like, a major, major advancement in, in terms of, like, relationships and games. I mean, I guess, like... The fact that you can have relationships in games is an advancement in of itself, but I don't think we're too far behind beyond where we were with um, stuff like uh, Torment, um, uh, Planescape Torment, you know, back in the late yeah. 90s, right? So, or was it 2001 or something like that? But anyway, uh, I, I do look forward to uh, deep learning making its way into games until the NPCs actually take over my system and... It gets real bad, and then the robots <laughs> take us, uh, destroy everything. They're going to be like, you've played enough, cat, and they turn it off. <laughs> oh, my God. No, that would be, like, that would be Mario. Oh, you're Here's right. He's a cat. Turn, time to turn off the three, yes. And I'll be hey, like, go what? Do no, your... Your... Go do your homework. I don't have homework. I haven't been in school I for three years. I don't have homework. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> oh, gracious. No, I could totally tell, like, I, I could totally imagine Nintendo putting essentially, like, a mom figure into the game that's going to, like, chastise you to turn it off. Yeah, that would 100% happen. It would be, like, a really likable sort of mom character, but it would be a mom character nonetheless, and she'd turn off your game. It would be that bunny. Oh, that poor little bunny. And the bunny would trick you into buying things. Like, and it would trick you... Game. Like, you'll, you'll have, like, an 8-year-old playing their um, 3DS 8 or something like that. <laughs> and the bunny will be like, psst, psst, hey, Billy, psst, you want to buy some badges? What? Badges? But mom says I can't. <laughs> Screw mom. <laughs> Screw badges. mom. You want the badges. Let me show you how to get mom's credit card. Just, just go over. You probably find her purse over there. <laughs> and so on and so forth like you gotta watch out like if you give them a single imperative they're just gonna carry it out and that that rabbit's job is to sell you on um the meverse stuff yeah that bunny man he turned to a life of crime pretty fast didn't he <laughs> yeah right yeah he, he totally would he, he wouldn't even be like a mom like he would probably rebel against his creators Ah, poor little bunny it's i feel for him poor little bunny like he's evil <laughs> i know but i like bunnies All right, so speaking of Nintendo, actually, and a life of crime, um, and stealing from us, uh, <laughs> the Shadows of Valencia DLC. Yeah, that, that was a nice segue. Congratulations on that one. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, um, Nintendo revealed their season pass plan for uh, Fire Emblem Shadows of Valencia, which is coming out not too long from now, actually. Um, yeah, May 19th, I think. Yeah, and they're going to be uh, there's going to be like four DLC packs. Um, one is uh, a fledgling warriors pack, which gives you maps where you can basically grind money and experience and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's just grinding. Uh, the next one is like more for kind of hardcore players. Um, yeah. The third one is dungeons that let you upgrade to special classes, like. Um, See, in uh, the previous Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem Fates, they had DLC classes. So mm-hmm. that's what it's going to be. It's going to be 15 bucks. Yeah. That's a, cl- that's a lot of money. <laughs> and then finally, the fourth one is a prologue pack, which is more of a story thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, for- that's the one that I would actually consider getting maybe. I was going to say that's the one. If I was going to get any of them, I'd get that one. And there will be a fifth DLC. Which we don't know anything about that yet. That will cost five ninety nine. Yeah. Um. So guess it's gonna be forty five dollars. Yeah, for the, for the uh, entire the shebang. Pass. That's a lot of money. Yeah, talk about like Nintendo got a taste of the whole DLC thing, and now they want more. More money. More all I the mean, monies. It's more expensive than the base game itself. Yeah, that's a little crazy, but somehow that is a little crazy. That much money 
for a standalone 3DS handheld game. And get this, a 3DS game that is not even like a, I mean, it's a remake. Mm -hmm. It's not even like a sequel or anything. It's a remake of an NES game. And they're selling 45 bucks worth of uh, DLC through a season pass. Um, Like People can spend money however they want. And actually, like the DLC itself is pretty what optional yeah like, it's not exactly what i would call essential um like it's not like the um far harbor dlc in fallout 4 where it's like you really want to own this dlc because it's awesome mm-hmm. or it's not the kind of dlc that will like fix things in the game uh some of it is a uh, boosting dlc some of it is an extra challenge a little bit of story dlc whatever like i yeah. probably won't get any of it but Holy cannoli, they're charging a lot, I gotta say. It's, it really speaks to how uh, mobile game development has been slowly but surely just kind of intertwining into uh, into console games as we know them. Yeah, the one thing I can say for it, though, is at least it's all separate. So, you, you know, it's not like Zelda where you have to buy it all together. Yeah, at least. Um, do you have to buy it all together in Zelda? Uh, yeah, the both the download packs are a bundle. You can't get it separately. Oh, that's crap. How much yeah. is the season pass? Uh, looking at about $22, I think. Jeez. But Which there's is, like hard mode. There, Yeah, there's um, basically the first pack that's coming out is what we saw with the tingle uniform and all that, which I guess pays for itself. But um, there's <laughs> that, and then there's the story content, which is coming around Christmas. I, I mean, I guess I'll pick it up, but I, I don't really care about like hard mode or anything. No, I don't care. I, I wrote about this a while back saying I don't really uh, care that much about the hard mode. I just want the story stuff, although I do kind of like the, the, uh, the masks and uh, the tingle uniform and everything else they have going on. But uh, apparently that new, they have a new map feature, too, that came in this new DLC pack or is coming in this new DLC pack that, that kind of marks where you've been. So mm-hmm. that looked really interesting to see that in motion. Someone had a GIF of it up. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want... It's all or nothing when it comes to Breath of the Wild, and I guess Nintendo knows where their mm-hmm. brother's buttered because I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I my mean, guess. There's new story stuff, I'd consider it. Um, yeah, there's a new dungeon, too. Yeah, uh, I, I don't have a lot more to say uh, about this. Uh, I just wanted to highlight the fact that, holy moly, 45 bucks for like DLC that's actually not that um, particularly interesting. Yeah, like um, someone on uh, the comments t- for that story that you wrote uh, said that they think Nintendo's going to drive Fire Emblem into the ground. Do you think that there's danger of that? Yes. <laughs> um, because they, I think they kind of realized that Fire Emblem's profitable. Oh, yeah. Is it ever, Like, apparently? really profitable, especially with Fire Emblem Heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, people love their waifus and stuff. And, like, I have to imagine that relative, relative to, like, a Mario or a Zelda game, they're not that hard to crank out. No, probably not. Uh, so now that it actually has like a major following in the U.S. compared to where it was just a few years ago, yeah, I could totally, totally see them running into the ground. I've heard that it actually has a better following here now than it does in Japan. Really? Yeah. I could. I mean, I guess in intent in Japan, it was always kind of a, a hardcore strategy series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I I could see. I could see that it would potentially have become more popular here, but I'm not sure. Yeah, as far um, as I know, Heroes is still profitable. So There has been speculation, by the way, that Shadows of Valencia, like they, they very deliberately picked the name Fire Emblem Echoes, as if to say that they're going to remake a whole bunch of Fire Emblem games, such oh, as Genealogy of the Hor- Holy War and mm. the various others that came out on the SNES that never came out over here. I'd actually be very interested in that because I've always wanted to play uh, Genealogy of the Holy War. I, just, I know there's a fan translation, but I never got around to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that's not a bad idea. I, I don't fault Nintendo for that one because we missed on like 50 billion Fire Emblem games here. Yeah, and some of them are like ones that people consider the best in the series, like Thrasia. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then also, I own Fire Emblem 6, or maybe... Or at least at one point I owned it. It was, it might still be floating around the house somewhere. <laughs> the one <laughs> the with Roy. Eat. Yes, that was the one uh, with Roy. I want a remake of that one so that I can properly play it because it is connected to the original Fire Emblem for the GBA, 
Fire Emblem mm-hmm. Seven, um, mm-hmm. and I would really like to see Roy's story. Um, so, I, I guess what this is all saying is they could end up making Fire Emblem essentially an annual franchise, and oh, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily complain because God knows, like Pokemon was an annual franchise for a while. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yeah, basically. I mean, until they skipped twenty six, no, twenty fifteen. Um, it was, there was a Pokemon coming out literally every year. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, to be honest, it's not like it's a new thing for Nintendo here. No, it isn't. And you know, most of the Pokemon releases have been very good. So I, I don't really have a lot of complaints about it. Indeed. So yeah, bring it on. Give me more, po- give me more Fire Emblem. And more Pokemon, like, please. All of the Fire Emblem. Oh, I'm surprised that they have announced Pokemon Stars. It might, maybe they're waiting on that until next year. I would think E3 if anywhere. I mean, they don't, I guess they might announce something during, um, I guess I could see them announcing something during a Nintendo Direct at E3. Yeah, and I'm also hearing rumors about a Nintendo Direct coming soon, but I don't know for Ooh. sure if those are just rumors. Oh man, Nadia's breaking story, breaking news on the Axe of the Blood God podcast. I can say anything. She's the new Tom Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so one more thing. Um, before we read some responses to the Dungeon Crawling pod. Um, Trails in the Sky the Third, uh, which I just wanted to highlight really quickly. Um, that is another one that like has a really hardcore following, mm-hmm. which hasn't been easy to get people on the show to like really hype up for some reason. Um, the, the foremost uh, kind of supporter of the Trails series that I know in the media is Jason, Jason Schreier. He's a busy dude. He's a busy dude. Like getting him on the podcast is like impossible. Uh huh. Because he like whenever I contact him, I'm like, hey, Jason, come on the podcast. He's like, yeah, I might be able to come on next month. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out running a site like Kotaku's a uh, busy day, busy times. Who would have known? It looks like a PlayStation One RPG. Yeah, that's my jam. <laughs> and the first one came out in like 2003 on the PC. Mm-hmm. Um, and was later ported to PSP. Um, and the PSP one was the one that finally came out here in 2011. Yay. <laughs> Courtesy <laughs> of Xseed. Yeah. Um, and when it came out here, it quickly developed a really passionate, really dedicated cult audience. Mm-hmm. And that audience grew once it hit Steam. Right. Um, because... Turns out when you uh, when a, a cult RPG gets put in front of a larger audience on a more pl- popular platform, it's going to get more of a following. Yes. Um, so putting those games on Steam was a huge boon for the series. Yes. And subsequently, they released uh, Trails in the Sky second chapter, mm-hmm. which was the conclusion to the story set- started in the first game. The first game was... It followed a girl named Estelle and Joshua, and like it's initially kind of about their adventures. But uh, as time goes on, the scope like generally broadens, and eventually you have like stuff like governments being toppled and all kinds of like intrigue and uh, it, it's interesting stuff. Um, J- same, JRPG uh, stuff, yeah, JRPG stuff. But a lot of what people are attracted <laughs> to is how vibrant the world is. Um, mm-hmm. They're really into the lore. They're really into the world. They're really into the backstories of the characters. Uh, the main criticism of them, and to a lesser extent, Trails of Cold Steel, is that they're pretty slow. Yeah. Like, they just, they take their time. They do not care. <laughs> um, when it comes to the story, when it comes to the battles, like, like NPC battles, it's like, it's kind of basically the, the anti-persona, right? Like, mm-hmm. the battles do not finish fast. No. Boss battles can take well more than 30 minutes to complete. Oh, um, wow. And people are like, I'm so engrossed in it that like I don't even care. And it's like, oh, that's cool and everything. Uh, I'm glad that you're really enjoying it. Um, so yeah, and then of course, like you know, it's like a 50 hour RPG or whatever, and it's spread across two games. The third one's kind of weird though, Nadia. I was about to ask you about that. The third one it takes place after the conclusion of the second one, and is essentially the pe- appendices. Like, you know how in Lord of the Rings, they have, like, these appendices that kind of, like, lay out the stories of all the different characters? Yeah. That's what uh, Trails the Third is. So it's not really something you can jump into. Oh, hell no. Don't okay. jump into it. <laughs> no so jumping. what it is, like, it, it exists as basically more world building 
so that then they can like transition into zero no kiseki, which is the kind of the the next one. Mm-hmm. There's ao, there's ao no kiseki, and zero no kiseki, and like characters from Trails in the Sky go into that one, right. but. They wanted to build up some more before they got into Crossbell. Okay. Well, so. Trails of Third, different character. It goes to a different guy named uh, Father Kevin. <laughs> Green-haired dude. Um, and with his, like, childhood friend. And they're in, like, they get dumped into a dungeon. They're, like, trapped there. And it's, like, a dungeon crawler. Like, instead oh. of, like, having NPCs and towns and everything, you're just going through this tower and you're revisiting old locations from trails in the sky second chapter you're fighting old bosses oh really Uh, oh that's yeah it's oh it's more like recycle town yeah i know but like i could see how it would be interesting if you're really into those first two games yeah i suppose um the main thrust of it is learning about father kevin like his backstory and stuff but irish (laughs) he's um (laughs) in the japanese version he's like from Osaka, or like he has a Kansai dialect, mm-hmm. um, which means that um, he, the Kansai dialect is known in Japan for being a lot kind of like more chill, <laughs> right? Hey, it's man. a lot chiller than um, the kind of more formal um, Kanto dialect. Mm-hmm. And so people like immediately recognize somebody from Kansai because they're known for being kind of more free spirited, I suppose, compared uh-huh. to the button down Tokyo. Um, so he has a Kansai accent to indicate that he's kind of a free spirit, kind of a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the main character, and he has like a good um, kind of uh, rapport going on with um, his friend, uh, the sister. I forget her name. Um, the weird thing is, like, the main characters from the first two games are there, but they're not the main characters. <laughs> and I said, imagine if in Trails... Uh, imagine if you were watching Star Wars and the story, like Luke and Han's story just kind of ended in Empire Strikes Back. And the third one was all about the the history and backstory of Wedge Antilles, the, the X-Wing pilot who blows up the Death Star. Yeah, that's a bit of a veer, veering off path there. Yeah. So it's all about filling in the gaps from previous characters. So there's a lot of fan service going on, that kind of thing. Like when I say fan service, I mean like, Let's have a cutscene where, like, your favorite, like, let's just ensure that everybody's favorite character gets a line, right? <laughs> I know her. She said the line. Woo! And so you're, like, going through this tower, and it, basically you're finding these doors, and they're, like, doors of memory. And you're, like, learning, you're going through them, and you're seeing these vignettes, and you're learning the backstories. You're seeing memories from various characters that you like. So you're, like, learning a ton. It's like a Wikipedia entry coming to life. <laughs> It's the Wikipedia. It's the video game equivalent of Wikipedia. <laughs> and also you're learning about the world and like things that are happening in the world. And for mm-hmm. people who are like junkies for the series, it's like probably it's like, you know, crack, right? Like yeah. you're you're learning so much about this world that you love rather than just in, in an interactive format. But it's kind of like the Star Trek Encyclopedia or the Lord of the Rings appendices in an interactive format with some battles and stuff. With some battles. Oh, and it's like 50 hours long. It's still really long. (laughs) So it's a really good thing I didn't just jump into this game without looking first. Yeah, no. You definitely want to play the first one. Like, you play them in order. Yeah, because I'd be just playing with this big smile on my face. I don't know what the hell is going on. No, I mean, I mean, I guess you could... Theoretically, it, it's just so much of it is predicated on being prior, having a prior investment yeah, exactly. to the world. I, I just want to say, like, how weird it is that they did this at all. Yeah. It's also funny to me how forgiving people are of that they actually did it. They're like, <laughs> no, no. They just realized that they wanted to do more world building. And I'm like, they wanted to make another buck. <laughs> they were using pre-existing assets to build a honestly pretty simple game that they used as a bridge into the next one. You There's, like, really no reason for this game to exist except as, like, a bit of fan wink. It's the DVD extras come to life. You, you can build a world and, and profit at the same time, make a quick buck. <laughs> well, if you have I'm just, I just think it's funny that people are like, oh, their motivations are pure because they want to be, like... <laughs> oh, no, they're not pure. Because they want to believe the best. And I, I don't know, like, the fact that they recycle so heavily and it's, like... Like it, the format itself seems really cynical to me. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm just like going, really? Like you're giving him a free pass on this? Okay. 
Ah, that's why they love. I mean, could you imagine if um, somebody else did this? Like, could you imagine if they did that with Mass Effect or something? Oh, they'd be dead. Like, you're or or like Fallout. Like, they just released um, a game where you're going through like one long dungeon crawl, and it's all flashbacks to other stuff. Oh God, that Bethesda has would existed be like already. Its own intestines. I, I mean. But yeah, the cult audience—they're like they love this this story, and I suppose like more power to them, right? Like yeah, I was gonna just... say, good for them. We all have our little things. The Trails in the Sky, the third, like immediately jumped to like number two on the Steam charts. Yeah, because I was on Steam the other day and I saw, oh, Trails in the Sky, third. This looks interesting, and uh, I noticed it was uh, pretty high up there. But yeah, I, I would. I think you should check out Trails in the Sky, Nadia. I think you'd like it. I probably would, by the sounds of it. I uh, sometimes I like long world building rpgs i I don't think you i don't think you actually have to play the third i think you just play it if you if i like are really that invested and you want to know more yeah and you and you kind of want to hang out with your your favorite characters again i mean you're talking to the idiot who bought um the after years twice so (laughs) you don't (laughs) need to you don't need to tell me about stupid too far (laughs) Uh. but this isn't even a sequel i mean it's ish a sequel it's more like <laughs> ish it's just backstory like it's just lore yeah i i don't understand but uh, i i'm interested to hear what people have to say I, i'm sure that there are going to be a lot of people who are like no trails in the sky the third is great cat and you you're crazy cat. so hey if you if you want to drop me a line um at cat.bailey at usgamer.net and Tell me why Trails in the Sky the Third is so amazing, why you love it. Maybe I'll read your email on the show. Oh, by the way, I bought uh, After Years three times. Sorry, I was wrong. Three times? Why would you do that? <laughs> I don't know. What is your problem, Nadia? Because <laughs> I'm the kind of person who would buy... <laughs> I'm the kind of person who would buy uh, the third. Uh, that's it. I'm the person, I'm the idiot that they cater to. I mean, it's not idiocy necessarily. Like, hey, I play Super Robot Wars. I've played... I've played some games many times, and I, like, Super Robot Wars is built on recycled assets. It's what it is. <laughs> you always know that a game, a Super Robot Wars is, like, trying to be special when they don't use recycled assets. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a word in Yiddish called Nurskite that, like, basically translates to, like, stupid things, childish things. And everyone, the, the idea is that everyone has it, and everyone has theirs. So basically their weakness? Their weakness, yes. I gotcha. So uh, I invited everybody to kind of talk about like what their favorite RPG dungeons are, that kind of thing. Um, Talk about uh, what they like to see in a dungeon. And happily, people responded. Yay. Um, So I wanted to take a moment to read some of their reactions. Um, So the first one was uh, Rider Kicker. He says, I'm a bit claustrophobic and don't enjoy exploring caves. Totally understand. Mm-hmm. The rock tunnel in Pokemon skills gives me cheer chills as I went through it as a kid without much healing items, especially an escape rope. Always bring an escape rope, Always. kids. Yes. Always bring the, be- the the item that will teleport you out. Yes. Nothing worse than having to backtrack out of a dungeon. I would say a great dungeon would have to match the mood of the current plot. And Persona 4's dungeons is the best example I can muster as much as each place was designed to fit the personalities of the head shadow in charge. Yukiko had a sense of urgency as she is the fourth party member. Kanji's was effed up, take on sexuality and masculinity. That creepy kid from another school made me rather sick with his twisty turns and fetid atmosphere. And that last dungeon made me want to bring my A game as I had to finish up ASAP. I quite like it better than Shimegami Tensei proper as even though it has a cool setting, I feel like it's always a struggle to get to the next part of the story. Yeah, um, I have to say Persona 4's uh, Final Dungeon, um, it was a little different than I was expecting because it had a few more tricks and traps in it. Uh, I seem to remember having to go through a hole in the floor at one point because the the uh, the antagonist locked me out <laughs> <laughs> everywhere else. Persona 5 has a lot more puzzles, maybe, um, which are actually semi-interesting to complete and they require some interaction with the real world. And mm-hmm. I think they're better paced. As a, yeah, as a whole. Definitely. Yeah, not arguing oh. that at all. Uh, this one's for you, Nadia. Yay. Nuclear vomit. I think we can all agree that a good dungeon does not contain pits or confusing teleportation. Yes, thank you. 
Yes, I totally agree. Can, anything where you have to like figure out the pattern of teleporters to take is the uh, worst. Oh god, I hate those. And uh, I was just thinking of uh, Team Rocket's layer in Pokemon uh, Red and Blue. With I was going to say, that's a favorite Pokemon trope right there. Yeah, it's all those stupid tiles on the floor. And I actually sat there and I watched it. When Twitch plays Pokemon, I watched them go through that. It was like being in a certain a circle of hell. It was, <laughs> it was awful. But I couldn't look away. Nuclear Vomit says, There's a hellish dungeon in Dragon Warrior 2 near the end to fight Hargon. So many random pits to fall down and call back just so you can try again. Expect to fall again two or three times. Use your MP and herbs for healing and return back to town. Then you will proceed to vomit with rage. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I ever... You know what? I've never finished Dragon Warrior 2. It just... I, I don't know why. I just Dragon never got around Quest to it. Fan, uh, Dragon Quest fan credentials revoked. Yep, that's it. My life is so over. You don't get to say that you're a fan anymore. But uh, I will say one thing, one trope that you find in uh, at least the old Dragon Warrior dungeons is um, infinite loops where you go down a staircase and you find yourself in a long hallway and you go down the staircase and you go big repeat, rinse, repeat. And I remember as a kid, I'd be such an idiot thinking, oh, if I keep going, I'll get there eventually. Because there's one in the Dragon Sword Castle in uh, Dragon Quest One, and there's another one, I believe, in um, one of the caves in, in Dragon Quest Three. So it's just there to like trap stupid rats like myself who think they're going in a, the proper direction when they're actually just staying in place. And then he says, then there's Fantasy Star 2. Same issue as above, but teleportation tiles that have you going in all sorts of places and you never seem to get anywhere. The particular hell is encountered on the way to the Esper Mansion. I remember ordering the Prima Sega Genesis Secrets book to my local library from another branch because some other people had checked it out and never returned them. How rude. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, really. I finally got the copy and it did not help. The dungeon oh. was too hard and the section has either wrong or not clear enough. A great dungeon, air castle, and Fantasy Star 4. The lead up to this dungeon is so epic. Great music, mid-boss, main boss, and it's a callback to the original Fantasy Star. It's just too good. If you have a save file there, play it again and you will see. I actually started to play uh, Fantasy Star 4 and I was really enjoying it, but I had to stop for some reason. Um, I should really get back to that sometime. <laughs> A lot of people ignore Zelda because they think it's not an RPG. It is. Oh, it nice is. Guy Neon follows on that one. But to me, a great dungeon is something to be excited for. Too many games just kind of have dungeons as like a gate toward progress. But with Zelda, there's this great challenge to be overcome. With puzzles to solve, unique mini-bosses, giant show-stopping bosses, and cool designs. Like the Ancient Cistern in the Arbiter, Arbiter Grounds. Yeah, that, that was a great dungeon. Um, I know Twilight Princess has its critics, but it has some great dungeons in it. Oh, it totally does. Um, yeah. And the Arbiter of the Grounds, while, if I recall correctly, that's the one where you get the one item that where you're, like, grinding against the wall. Yeah, and it's, like, a lot of fun for that one dungeon, then you just kind of... For that one dungeon, and then you never use it. use it again. And I was thinking, wow, well, I wonder if I could use this on the old world, and it's like, you can go, like, two steps, and then <laughs> just falls over. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Boom. I like any Zelda that requires you to use the items. Um, it's kind of like... um what's the word uh like Mega Man 2 like mm -hmm. Mega Man 2 and Mega Man 9 are the best Mega Mans because they're the ones that actually let you use your weapons in a like more than once yeah mostly the metal blade <laughs> <laughs> well yeah the metal blade but I mean a lot of them in Mega Man 9 are really useful mm -hmm. yeah that was a pretty well constructed game so Satellite of Love gave me a whole list oh boy um, so we have Black Rock Depths in World of Warcraft, um, Cave of Trials in Star Ocean 2, the Obelisk in Nocturne, Old Duar in World of Warcraft, Sen's Fortress slash Funhouse in Dark Souls, Dom Ruins in Grandia 1, the Void Quest in Persona 4, Tower of Latria in Demon's Souls, Forest Temple, Ocarina of Time. Oh yeah, the Forest Temple was a really good one. I really liked, I enjoyed the Forest Temple a lot. Uh, the Karma Temple in Coordinate 136 in De Digital Devil Saga, uh, Labyrinth of Amala in Nocturne, the Sunwell in World of Warcraft, the Abyssal Shrine in Etrian Odyssey 3, the Pyramid in Persona 5, and the Monastery in Wizardry 8. Hmm. That's so a that, lot of dungeons. That is a very, uh, that is quite a list, and I like the fact that it's across like many different kinds of RPGs, so congratulations on that. I tip my hat to anybody who played Wizardry 8. I, I tip my hat to anyone who played Wizardry, period. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so 
thanks for the comments, everybody. Um, if you want to share your favorite dungeons or what you look for in a great dungeon, uh, comment on this episode, comment on the previous episode, or drop me a line at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. All right, that's the end of our episode. Access Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Follow us on social media. You can find me at the underscore catbot, Nadia at Nadia Oxford. You can check her out for her blog, Tiny Girl, Tiny Games. And you can, of course, find US Gamer on all of the usual social media channels, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You're going to find us at US Gamer Net. We're on our way to a busy month, Nadia. Yeah, um, shoot, like, E3's coming up pretty soon, isn't it? That's one thing, and... Yeah, that's, like, a month away. Crap. Yeah, I mean, in just a couple weeks, I'm gonna be gone for, like, a week, uh, to check out games, like, tons of games, um, in preparation for E3. Um, like, lots of events going on this week, or this month, I rather. And then, of course, next month is E3 where we will be shown a whole lot of games. And it's going to be a very interesting E3 because you could say that this is like the second chapter of the generation. And it's really like, it feels like this generation has like no sign of slowing down. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the Switch alone, you're going to have Mario Odyssey. You're going to have like Splatoon 2. You're going to have a bunch of stuff there. I mean, this is year four because the generation properly got started in 2013. God, that's hard to even imagine, but you're right. It doesn't feel like it started. Like, it just, it still just feels like it's just begun. Well, the year four of the previous generation was 2010. Mm-hmm. And by then, everybody was already starting to think that we were going to get the next round of console soon. And then it kept going for another three years. And by the time that it was over, everybody was sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this year we have, like, so many, like, console refreshes for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Well, like, I guess upgrades is a better term. But, um, ish. Ish. Uh, ish. Like PS4 Pro. And, and, like, as speaking as somebody who has a PS4 Pro, it's like a nice addition, but I wouldn't exactly say that it's like a giant upgrade or anything. I forget. Do you have a 4K TV? Yes, I do, actually. So you don't you really know what's funny? I don't play games in 4K. Oh, okay. Why not? I like the, I like the, I like the frame rate improvements. Mm-hmm. So is the 4K TV your sports TV? I mean, I only have one TV. <laughs> but I said- also have my like regular computer monitor. But Oh, okay. Yeah, I only have one really big TV in my living room. So I have a little it's TV. It's a nice TV, though. Congratulations. <laughs> it took a while a nice for TV. me. Thank you. It took me a while. It took a while for me to find the right settings on it and everything. Mm-hmm. It's made me like playing games on my couch a lot more than I did before. Welcome to the world of sitting on your ass on the couch and playing games. It's where you belong. Because I think I, I think I mentioned it maybe on this podcast before, but my couch was always a little too far from the TV. Oh, we never so mentioned I was, that. So I always felt like I was kind of having to strain my eyes a little bit when <laughs> I was like watching like anything or like playing anything, right? Right. Because it was still a reasonably big TV, but just a tiny bit too small. And so it made every game feel like a big commitment. I had a camping chair that I would break out uh. um, when I really wanted to play a game properly. And now I can just totally chill on the couch and play, like, at length. And it's been a really comfortable way to play both uh, Breath of the Wild and Persona 5. So. See, when you play on the couch, it makes your cats happy because they can sit beside you. Makes blood gods happy, too. Yes. And when the blood gods are happy, we're all happy. Indeed. So, um, as usual, we'll be back next week. Um, and we will be covering more RPG goodness. Um, I have no idea what we'll cover. It's always an adventure with this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You, that's the way an RPG should be. Just venture into the wild and get what you can get. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a wager on us talking about more about more Persona because I don't think we've gone with uh, an episode without talking about Persona for like months now. Yeah. So why break a good thing? Yeah, exactly. I, I'm amazed that people haven't been like, can you please shut up about Persona? My God. People love hearing about Persona, apparently. They like hearing us talk about it, which is very nice. It is, but uh, hopefully we can keep this racket going. In the <laughs> meantime, I've been Kat Bailey and for Nadia and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again with more RPG goodness. Thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.